Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. You know what Christy Mathewson wasn't worried about? S-I-E-R-A. When you're thinking about Pedro Siriaco, I mean, the only one that can compete is maybe uh, Hannes Wagner's 1908 season. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. Like, if we just clip together every time we've talked about him on other people's profiles, we've done a Mickey Cochran episode. I can't get past Rabbit Marinville. It's it's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I am your relatively relaxed host, Chris Gianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? I'm digging this today, Chris. We got a fully outdoor setup. You look like you are just on cloud nine right now. Yeah. Welcome to, uh, I believe it's Naples, Maine, uh, right beside Brandy Pond here. Um, And it's, you know, it's probably the coldest it'll be all day at, you know, high 80s, even though it's even even in Maine. But but yeah, yeah, this is uh, this is my vacation setup. I love it. Usually when I do these shows, so we record at 10 in the morning usually. And uh, sometimes I have to get like a, like a sweatshirt or whatever when I'm out here because it's like in the low, like in the mid 60s, sometimes even uh, like low 50s. It is 85 degrees right now. Yeah. And it is 10 in the morning. And uh, it's going to yeah. be a hot one today. Going to be a scorcher. I'm going to try to stay as hydrated so we got- as possible. I got some plans today, so uh, I mean, you know, I'll have to try to stay out of the sun as much as I can, drink a lot of water, you know? Yes, yes. So? Yeah. Uh, Chris, what, what are you doing today up in Maine? Um. Well, I mean, outside of uh, recording and whatever, distributing, promoting the podcast, I might, I might, go, on, might go on an inflatable raft, chill out, try to try to uh, get the get in the lake see what happens yeah i mean i mean i'm sure you got you know some nighttime plans out there it'll be a little cooled down you know you'll be you'll be out there uh on the outdoor setup you got here right right well you know actually at, at about 1 i'm probably going to be i'm probably going to be leaving this place and i'm going to be uh i'm not going to be shipping up to boston i will oh, be going oh. I will be going down to Boston and uh, we're, I'm going to be going to, um, Wow! I'm going to be going to a baseball game. Oh, dude, I'm going to a baseball game in Boston tonight. Really? Oh, are are you going to go see the, uh, are you going to go see the, uh, the, the Boston Red Sox play? I'm going to see the Boston Red Stockings playing against the, uh, Kansas City Royals tonight. That's fascinating. We're going to the same game. How about wow. that? Wow. What? Uh, where are you going to be sitting? We we totally didn't plan. Ah, uh, like center field bleachers, like right around, uh, right around the Green Monster, but not actually there. Just you know, dead center field. Oh, that's gonna be. Those, those sound like good seats. I'm actually going to be sitting around there too. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, cool, cool. Maybe maybe we'll see each other. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll try to we'll try to link up. Um, but yeah, we're gonna be we're gonna be going yeah, to Fenway tonight. Though. So we gotta, 
you know, we got to hurry, hurry some things and we up. Just, and we just, we just found that out. Yeah, we literally, yeah, this was not planned at all. This was not planned for like the last absolutely not three to four weeks or anything. This just uh, was on the spot. No, no, no. You know, that no one had to buy tickets for anybody. Nothing. <laughs> um, but I guess... No one had to send a Venmo that said uh, a home run or a dollar for every Sammy Sosa home run in 2001. No, that <laughs> didn't happen. No. That, that exchange was never, uh, was never made. Uh, <laughs> no, that's, that's just completely wild. I mean, yeah. It's a small world, right? I mean, what are, what are the odds? That's just, that's just crazy. Um, but, you know, we have, we have some... I mean, uh, it's basically like 1 in 162. One, yeah, maybe, unless one of us disproportionately... Maybe, maybe 1 in 81, assuming we're both going to Fenway. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Depending on how often one goes to a, a game at Fenway, it could change, so, but I, I mean, I go like once, maybe twice a year. You probably go more than that. Yeah. Maybe two to three times, but not, not a crazy amount. Not, not like 10, mm-hmm. to, 10 times a year or anything. I am out of state no, no, no. still. Uh, but yeah, there's a, uh, there's some baseball to talk about. Uh, some... um, do you want to lead off? Yeah, um, lead off. That's a good baseball terminology. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. the so actually, this kind of just sprang up out of nowhere, and I was just on the MLB. I was on the MLB app looking at matchups for probably like Sunday or Saturday, and I noticed the Mariners were like three games above five hundred, and I was like. Wait, what the heck? They must have well, okay, the Mariners must have been playing some relatively you know, low skilled teams. And then I looked at their past schedule and I then I remembered, oh yeah, they swept the Rays in four games. The you know, they had they were leading the AL East at the time. And then just recently they took two out of three from the White Sox. It's uh it's pretty incredible. Like three out of four. Yeah. No, I think it was two. I, I mixed it up because um, for some reason on the MLB app okay. also they okay, have okay. they have Saturday and Sunday as the as two different games, even though it was the same game because it was suspended. So oh, that's yeah. right because it was suspended. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, it was weird. So that did happen. Yeah, but they've won ten out of thirteen regardless, and seven of those games occurred against the White Sox and Rays, who like a couple of weeks ago, we're, we're in a battle for the best record in the American League uh, in, in a series. So it's pretty crazy what they've been able to do. And, uh, I mean, we're, we, we just got to talk about it. They've won 10 out of 13. Um, I heard you have a take on the, uh, on the Mariners. I don't know if you want to get into it right away. Yeah, so, no, I'll, I'll save it. I'll save it. You can get into some of the nitty-gritty stuff. Um, all right, well, you know, we'll talk for the – just for reference, the Mariners are seventh in OPS, and this is in the MLB, seventh in OPS in the span, uh, and fifth in ERA in their last 13 games. If you want to look at individual performances, uh, Luis Torrens, he hasn't been an everyday player. He's, had, he's only had 29 plate appearances in these 13 games, but when he does get up to the plate, it is good news because he's hitting 333 with a 1305 OPS in the span. 
Ty France is a, has been an everyday player. He's hitting 298 with a 1,009 OPS in this 13-game span. And on the pitching side of things, Chris Flexen uh, has allowed one run in 14 and two-thirds innings pitch with 14 strikeouts and two walks. And Yusei Kikuchi, who you didn't have him as a how about that, but you did point him out in a uh, in the preview of the weekend uh, preview of the weekend ahead. Uh, and in his last uh, in, in this 13 game span, uh, he's allowed two runs in 12 and two thirds innings pitch. So things are going pretty well on on both sides. Um, I mean, the games they've won, it's not like they're blowing teams out, but they're playing very competitive games against very competitive teams which is a which is a very good sign and you know i don't know i don't really know what to make of it just yet uh, i mean i can tell you what to make of it if that's all the numbers you have yeah that's all i got yeah so chris do you want to guess what the mariners run differential is this season um i'm gonna guess uh negative 23 Negative 43. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, the Mariners have a, have a, a, a negative 43 run differential in the season. Their Pythagorean win-loss, which is based on run differential, is 35 and 44, despite them having a 41 and 38 record. Uh, that is the largest difference between run differential and actual record on the positive side. So essentially the Mariners have been the luckiest team uh, in baseball with Pythagorean uh, win loss. Um, they are eight and one in extra inning games, which is you know extra innings are a little weird uh, because of the rule. Uh, no other team, no team has won or has a better winning percentage or even close really. Uh, every other team that has one loss or less has no more than four wins, and every team that has eight wins or more uh, has no more has no less than three losses. So the Mariners by far are the the best team in extra innings, uh, but that, you know, doesn't really seem sustainable um, with, you know, just with the rule. Also, they are 18-7 and seven in one-run games. Uh, the next best winning percentage is the Angels at 11-6. and six. Uh, This team, you know, they have a lot of – obviously, that explains the uh, – that explains the – uh, bad run differential because nearly half of their wins are one run. Literally 18 of their 41 wins are by a single run. Um, so it's it's pretty easy to believe that this isn't exactly sustainable. And I know it is only a 13-game sample, even if it was two of the better teams in the American League. Um, but here's my take. I don't think this, is, this stretch by the Mariners is going to uh, be a precursor to a deeper playoff run. But what I do think it's going to be is – the Mariners realizing what they have the potential to do in the coming years when they have more of their future stars performing well, which will then in turn lead them to firing Scott's service at the end of the year and getting their guy going forward. Ah, this is, this is a good take. Yeah. This is, this is the I, type of take I think where um, I will edit a video where, where you, uh, where you, this podcast clip has, you know, is edited in and you tweet out the video because you were, uh, you were correct. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you predicted it, you know, months before yeah, I mean, this happening. I don't think Scott service has necessarily done a bad job as the Mariners uh, manager. 
He got hired after 2016 uh, following a different disappointing 2015 season. Uh, he hasn't made the playoffs, and he's had uh, two winning seasons, uh, not accounting this year, but, you know, two winning seasons removed from a 94-loss season. Uh, so I think he's been there too long for a guy that just hasn't made the playoffs, especially in a division that's going to be very strong going forward. You know, the Mariners, I think the champion, I think the playoff window is going to open next year. You know, you're going to have the first full year of Kellenic. You're going to have probably Julio Rodriguez. You're going to have maturing more. J.P. Crawford's obviously, you know, he's, uh, he's been maturing a lot this year. You know, I think the youth movement really starts next year, and that's where they're going to want to have their guy. And I think that that's where a new manager comes in. Uh, you know, nothing, you know, I think, I think this is a similar take that I had with Rick Renteria with the White Sox last year. You know, it was a year where they really saw what kind of potential they have with a youth that's coming up. So it's time to go get their guy, except hopefully the Mariners don't, don't hire a 76 year old with, <laughs> with two DUIs in a history of racial slurs, because listen, the Mariners are a young team that has a lot of personality and, you know, next year, like, I feel like they're going to want to have a manager that fits that that archetype for a team yeah that ma- it makes a lot of sense yeah i mean if um yeah if the front office sees that there's you know hope in the roster that they have which probably they already imagined there would be at this point then yeah it definitely um adds influence for for them to get a new manager and really really do the correct process in getting the right manager uh for the team you know We've discussed possible manager options for, you know, just teams in general uh, this coming off season. You know, I think Will Venable has come up. He's he was a popular candidate uh, this past off season and is now a bench coach with the Red Sox. Um, and you know, I think there's some other options out there. Sam Fold, I think, is off the table for now because he's a GM for the Phillies. He's the GM of the Phillies, right? Yeah, but I mean, he's working with Dave Dombrowski, so I don't know if he really. There's I don't know probably what people is... that'll pop up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, yeah, there's going to be, you know, some popular names, uh, but I think the most popular I could think of were Venable and Fold, but there will be more guys uh, coming up in, in the offseason. So. Yeah, like people will pop up. Like this time, this time last year, we couldn't have predicted guys like Venable and Fold would have been up. As yeah, as exactly. Maybe, you know, maybe some insiders could have known, but like people will pop up. And I think the Mariners will find – I trust that the Mariners will, A, make the right decision in letting Scott Service go at the end of this season, and B, finding a guy that suits what their team is going to be. Because the Mariners were a different team in 2016. Like, they had, they still had Nelson Cruz. They still had Robinson Cano. Like, they were just – they just weren't the team that they are now. And that's okay. Teams change. And, you know, with that comes a change in, in philosophy. And I think that Scott Service, you know, all due respect – I don't think, like I said, I don't think he's done a bad job as a manager, but I think it's time for them to move on and look elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, this is his sixth year managing the Mariners, and yeah, sometimes you just you just need a new flavor in uh, in the clubhouse, and you know, someone someone else could could bring that. And I should have mentioned going back to the run differential thing, three of the Mariners' four wins were via walk off, so. And I'm guessing uh, yeah. if I go back, but granted, some... granted, one of them was walk off grand slam. Oh yeah, five to one. Yeah, or no, not that game. Six to two. Mm-hmm. Six to two game. So, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if they ever say if it's an in extra innings on a baseball reference, but I'm ass assuming some of them were in extra innings. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, we, we just kind of had to address it because they, you know, have won 10 of their last 13, seven of, the, some of, seven of them against, you know, uh, teams near the top of their division. Rays, unfortunately for them, not the leaders of the AL East right now, but we're not going to talk about that uh, at the moment. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that's that's the Mariners. And we actually, one more subject at hand, because this is a getaway episode, uh, as we mentioned before the recording. Uh, there's a very refreshing, refreshing take from someone who you probably wouldn't expect this take from. Uh, you actually, you you actually kind of preface this uh, for us. Yeah. So uh, the Yankees broadcast booth during the Sunday game of the, their series with the Red Sox, uh, they went on a bit of a tangent regarding something that has been a very popular topic on this show. And uh, Chris and I, you know, I showed this to Chris like immediately after I saw it. I was like, you got to look at this. And uh, Chris, it, Chris, why don't you edit the clip in right here? Is everybody, for you to tell me analytically that it's it's better to strike out than hit a hard ground ball, uh, I'm out because it could turn into a double play. Well, it could also turn into a two-run single. So strikeouts in my mind are still not good. And uh, I, I just see hitters take it like it's no big deal. And there used to be a lot of pride in not striking out. And, you know, I think things will be sorted out. But, boy, I loved as you were reading that, I was just shaking my head. I'm like, wow, I'm glad that, and obviously Mike Schmidt, one of the better third basemen that ever played the game. And still in the game, still broadcasting, I think, on the weekend. So somewhat relevant to today's game on what's going on. Any cake, David? I have a problem when somebody says analytics, as if analytics is one thing under one umbrella. What that tells me is that whoever's saying that doesn't understand what analytics really are, in my mind. The game has changed because you've got five or six relievers throwing 100 miles an hour on every team almost. And Mike Schmidt didn't have to face those relievers. He faced the starter four times. Aaron Judge is facing the starter once or twice. So there's more than one ex explanation for what's going on. The pitching is so much better and so much more deep. In particular, the bullpen. The game has changed. It's different. Now, is there some validity in some, some, some of the things he's saying? Yes. And what Paul's saying? Yes. But if you're going against launch angle, you're going against Ted Williams. This isn't new. Go read Ted Williams' book. This philosophy has been around forever. I could show you a New York Times article from 1910 that says everything that Mike Schmidt just said. Science is ruining the game. Nobody wants to walk anymore. Nobody wants to bunt anymore. Oh, New York Times, 1910. This, this is the argument that is perpetual. It's been around forever. Yeah, so what a, yeah, just like I said, uh, not someone who you would expect that from. Virtually everyone who is in a broadcast booth right now is, you know, talking about how launch angle is ruining baseball uh, and other things of that nature. And, you know, I, they do address, uh, sometimes they address the difficulty of hitting now against, against today's pitchers, but 
uh, a lot of the blame is on the batters and their quote unquote approach. Um, actually, if you if you uh, want to see the, if if you want to see the lack of change in approach, go uh, go and check uh, Daniel's article on Diamond Digest because that kind of delves it, it. It provides statistical analysis that says uh, there's really no change outside of strikeout rate, pretty much. Um, launch angle has stayed the same. Opposite field percentage uh, has stayed the same. And line drive percentage has all stayed the same. Not everyone's just golfing the ball and popping the ball up or getting fly balls. It's not. It's just not like that, and it's statistically proven. And to have someone like David Cohn, yeah. who was a veteran of the game, um, I would argue should be a Hall of Famer potentially, or at least should have more consideration for it. Uh, to have someone like him come out and say stuff that, you know, guys like us are saying, uh, very refreshing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember I said, like, Comrade Cohn is here. Uh, like, how many – is David Cohn the first, like, former player that has come out and defended – uh, the new age of baseball. Um, Other than, I mean, like, at least like that publicly, like I know Will Middlebrooks had a tweet where he was like, Coney hits the nail on the head here. Like, I love to see this, but like, I don't know. I feel like I, we are just so prone to hearing from all these, you know, these guys who played in like the nineties and early two thousands and any time before that about how, you know, like the hitting approach is different. And it's the reason why batters are like content with striking out and why they were content with having the lowest single season batting average ever at 238. Like Mike Schmidt had comments that preceded this debate on the Yankees uh, broadcast. But I think David Cohn's like the first, you know, former player that has come out and defended all this, which is so refreshing. It makes me so happy. Yeah. It, it, it makes me happy too. And yeah, I think he's the first guy that, that, um, hasn't like coached in the modern age to have this take because I, I imagine and it's never been like published uh, there's no like manager out there right now that's like that's trying to uh own people who uh hate hate uh launch angle but yeah you know people who you'd, you'd get instantly fired yeah exactly but people who coach now probably understand what's actually happening because they're <laughs> they're there every day and seeing what's happening and seeing, you know, the coach, a, the coaching strategies and B the types of pitches that, that are coming out and how it compares to when they played. And it's like, and I can imagine they're probably like, Oh, this is a lot different than I, than when I played, but they're not, they're not, you know, publicly saying that uh launch angle is not the issue, but they probably know it in their heads. I mean, Cohn, you know, we've talked extensively about this topic and we've been the dead horse. David Cohn said a lot of things that we just have not really addressed. Like the fact that, you know, Mike Schmidt is the is the subject here because he had the comments, which I'll get next. But like, you know, he was facing the starter four times. He wasn't facing five to six relievers out of the bullpen throwing throwing 100 miles an hour with movement. And, you know, going against launch angle was going against Ted Williams because he wrote in his book. That, you know, if you, you want to have a certain swing on the ball so where you can hit it in the air and hit as many home runs as possible because that's the most efficient way of driving in runs. And I don't mean to keep spoiling this for you, but, you know, in Brian Kenny's book, he talks about how Branch Rickey, like, actually tried to get analytics, like, on the board. And, like, he had a chalkboard where he wrote down, like, a bunch of percentages. And he was literally Branch Rickey 
Ranch Ricky was denied uh, his that the analytical approach in like the fifties by a bu- by a bunch of critics. So like this has been you know this argument has perpetuated for so long, like he said, and like I'm I'm glad someone with a platform finally said it. Yeah, and I'm also glad that someone who has you know an audience that is probably skewed a little older also said that you don't really hear that uh you know i I don't think people who are in an older generation get to hear that like point of view very often so that was very nice um that was very nice to hear very nice to see that 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 happened um yeah you got you got more not only that but you know you mentioned the the yankees audience like you know they are a little older but they're also frustrated because guess what? The Yankees, they're 40 and 37. They just got swept by the Red Sox for the second time. You know, there's all the talk about, you know, if George Steinbrenner was still alive, he would have done this and that, which is true. I do think that George Steinbrenner would have handled this a lot differently. Boone would have been fired, like, on opening day when they lost to the Blue Jays. Uh, but, like, you know, Aaron Boone sort of gets tied in with analytics because we all know that he's kind of a puppet for the baseball operations department. And the Yankees have become more analytically advanced. And one thing that I said is that, uh, if you look at the difference, like the team differences between like batting average to expected batting average, slugging percentage to baseball. And, you know, I do think there are flaws within the team, like regarding just, you know, there is a lack of clutch hitting. The, the rotation is very shaky, especially if Garrett Cole can use spider tack now. But the reality is the Yankees are much better on paper and just in general than they've been on the field this year. And I still think that like, they are very much a playoff contending team. And I don't, and I think that analytics have helped in that they've gotten guys, you know, analytics got you Luke Voigt. Like, I know that, you know, you, when you look at Yankees acquisitions over the last few years, it's like, you know, it's Aroldis Chapman, it's John Carlos Stanton, it's, it's, uh, uh, Jared Cole, like all these guys that you don't need analytics, but they're good. But I mean, analytics got you Luke Voigt. That's, you know, that was an absolute steal. You traded Chase and Shreve to get him. You traded your worst reliever to get your four hitter, basically. Um, not to mention it helped develop Aaron Judge into what it into what he became. Uh, not to mention it's helped Gary that he's been in. Like, analytics has helped the Yankees much more than they've hurt them. And, you know, there's all this talk of, like, I want Buck Showalter and I want them to stop focusing on this and that in the new age of baseball. That's not going to work. And David Cohn is just laid, he laid it all out. I just, if anything, I wish he didn't do it when the fan base was probably tuned out because it was the sixth inning in a six nothing game on a Sunday sweep against the Red Sox. Right. Yeah. Um, and actually, this is, it kind of ties in, but it was a funny story you were uh, telling me about a conversation with someone with a Yankees fan that you know. Uh, do you want to, do you want to like briefly get into that? Cause that was kind of yes. funny how that went down. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. So um, I'll just preface this whole story by saying I genuinely like this individual. He's, he's been very great to me my whole life. I was at a graduation party on Saturday and you know, I was one of my old baseball coaches showed up who was a Yankee fan and you know, conversations started going into the Red Sox Yankees game from last night. And he talked about how he needs Boone fired and he needs, he needs the Yankees to start playing small ball and bunt more. In, de- in defense, on Friday night, the Yankees had um, the first two guys reach in the ninth inning against Matt Barnes, and Clint Frazier, the nine-hitter, uh, was swinging away, and he struck out, which 
then proceeded to be a DJ or to to be a DJ LeMahieu double play to end the game, which, in fairness, I can understand how bunting would have been a good move there. You know, it's your nine hitter going. Even if Clint Frazier is a very good hitter, it is your nine hitter going into the leadoff spot where DJ's been hot lately. I can understand wanting to have bunted there, but he was you know he was talking about how he's upset with the Yankees and how they strike out a lot, and I was like, well, like. And now, like, you know, they're only built to hit home runs and how teams like that will never succeed. And I was like, well, the Tampa Bay Rays are on pace to shatter the all-time record by strikeouts in a single season by a single team. And he was like, well, yeah, but, like, the Rays, like, they play small ball. Like, they bunt a lot. And in my mind, I was like, I don't think that's true. And I didn't have the numbers to pull it up, so I kind of just ended it there. And then I went home, and I looked at this. There are three teams, Chris, that have sacrificed bunted four times this season – which is the least amount by any team. They are the Astros, the Red Sox, and the Tampa Bay Rays. Guess which three teams in the American League have the best three records? Those three. Those exact three. Uh, and obviously the National League teams have a lot more sacrifice bunts because of pitching. Uh, the, the Los Angeles Dodgers in 2020, they laid down three sacrifice bunts in 60 games, uh, which, you know... They won the World Series. The Tampa Bay Rays, zero. They laid down zero sacrifice bunts. Uh, there were three teams that didn't roll a single sack bunch. They were the the Rays, the Cincinnati Reds, who had one of the best offenses in baseball, and the Milwaukee Brewers. All three of those teams made the playoffs, and they didn't do a single sack bunt. Yeah. Um, so, like, listen, the game is changing. So, it's, you know, if you, and if you're not going to adapt, you're just going to be miserable for the, for the rest of your life watching baseball. And David Cohen is, you know, he's on board, and I think that's he's in the right place. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's the point we were trying to get at. And yeah, the uh, the sack bunt thing uh, does does humor me. The the fact that the that the teams with the least sack bunts happen to be the most successful, which is uh, very very funny. It's just and, like it makes sense because like the league. One of the big topics is the league batting average being at the lowest point it's ever been at 238. Like, why would you sacrifice bunt in an in an era where hits has never been harder because you're one of your three chances to get a hit? Right. Yeah. You are so limited to just a hit because, you know, we talk a lot about how a walk is the same as a hit. If you a sack bunt, a walk probably isn't really going to do anything other than give you a force. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, especially with a with a runner in scoring position by by himself. Um, but yeah, sack bunt thing is is funny. Uh, it probably it, if the DH goes, it will probably uh, be a dying uh, a dying thing. If if it yeah. you know it is already. Like but. I can understand. And like I said, I can understand doing it to get a guy over on third with one out. Like, I think that does, you know, like that, that puts you in a position where a ball in the air or a hit can score the run. Uh, but like, don't expect to see any sack bunts when the leadoff guy hits a single. Yeah, no, definitely. Like I, I like it in very specific scenarios. Like if you have uh, a catcher batting ninth and there's first and second with nobody out, I am 100% for a bunt there. But you know, like, yeah, just just like you mentioned, if if uh, you know, I guess I guess if yeah, if Lemayhew hits a single, I'm not trying to have Judge bunt bunt him over, obviously. And if it, you know, 
that's that's an extreme example. I could have understood. Yeah, I could have understood the Yankees doing it on Friday though. Like Clint Frazier, you know, even if he is decent, he is your nine hitter, and you're going into LeMahieu Judge with one out. Like that's you'll you'll like your chances there. But Boone didn't do that, um, so they lost. And I mean, I still think I still think Aaron Boone should be fired. If that if that's any consolation, like I I honestly can't believe he still has a job. Right, right. I see him. I, yeah, I see him getting fired uh, after the after season's end. Um, I think that's going to be a thing. If he has a job now, or, yeah. If he's if he hasn't been fired by now, um, I think unless they get uh, below five hundred, or if they're kind of like out of the playoff race by September, then uh, then I would see him getting fired. But I think uh, I think after the season did that will see, be a uh, thing. Did you see the quote that Brian Cashman had like a while ago? The first time they get sw- they got swept by the Red Sox. No, I didn't. So he said like, someone asked like, "Are you gonna are you gonna fire Aaron Boone?" And he said like, "Well, we made our bed and we're, we we got to lay in it," which is I mean loosely that's saying like, "Well, we made our decision. Even if we regret it, we got to roll with it." <laughs> what a what a. <laughs> What a uh, what a what a thing to say about your manage ma- managerial yeah. situation. Like imagine saying that in any other context. Like, Chris, you and yeah, like like you and I are both college students. Imagine if someone was like, "Hey, like, how do you like Springfield College?" And we were just like, "Well, we put in the deposits, so you know, we got four years." <laughs> yeah, that, like, I'm like, what does that tell you? If we yeah, if we said that to someone's touring our college, uh. They would probably be they they'd get a negative uh they'd get a, a negative connotation from that. Yeah. Um, exactly. Exactly. Uh. So that's that's about all I had. Shout out to David Cohn. Comrade Cohn is here. Yes. Uh. Refreshing. Extremely refreshing. Um. If only we had like a sponsor, we could segue that into like some some. Oh yeah! By the way, we didn't even talk about. I forgot. We didn't even talk about Mike Schmidt because he was the one who made the comments where he was like, "I I, I forget what the I'll pull up the exact quote, but it was it was very contradictory." Um. Okay. So Mike Schmidt, uh, he wrote. I believe it was in the Associated Press. He said, "Hall of Fame slugger Mike Schmidt wrote a story for the Associated Press in which he says, quote, Frisk." the pitcher is not warranted let's don't act let's let's don't act this that's an actual quote let's don't act like this is something new this in today's generation of hitters can't or won't keep up with this generation of pitchers the real question is why the gap i have a simple answer sabermetrics and analytics and other technology while these sources of information have a place they have had negative effects on hitters this year the overall mlb batting average could become the lowest ever now around 238 must be because the pitchers are cheating. No, it's because of shifting defenses coupled with hitters being led astray by information. Hitting the ball in the air is better than on the ground. Striking out is only one out. And high velocity off the bat and a perfect launch angle makes a great hair. Which, I mean, I, I, led the, I read those last three sentences and I was like, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> you're not wrong. Which, yeah. like, you know, if a guy like, if a guy like Rod Caruso said, come, came out and said this, I wouldn't really have much of a defense, but Mike Schmidt struck out 140 times a year, and he had a career batting average of 267. Yeah, like uh, Mike Schmidt was ahead, and guess what? 
And guess what? Nobody, absolutely nobody, demeans Mike Schmidt for the player that he was. Like, I will, for, like, until someone else comes along, I will say that Mike Schmidt is the greatest third baseman to ever play this game. Do I care that he struck out 140 times a year and had a career 267 batting average? Absolutely not. I don't care. I don't think it makes him a bad player at all. I still think it makes him the greatest third baseman to ever live. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it was funny to hear it from him. Like you said, it, it would be different if it was like, uh, you know, Rod Carew or um, not, or someone you know, someone who was known for or like Derek Jeter or something like that. Someone who's known for even then, like singles know. hitting. But even then, you know, none of those guys had to face the pitching in today's game where you have, you know, you're facing this, you're not facing the starter throwing 85 in the eighth inning anymore. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Mike Schmidt, 100, Josh uh, Hader. 180 strikeouts in 1975. Um, yeah, led the league. Like, I mean, the amount of times he led Chris, the league in strikeouts think, while think leading the league in homers. Second. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll let you finish this. But the amount of time, yeah, the amount of times he led the league in strikeouts while leading the league in home runs, like he was strictly a launch angle guy. I mean, 1974, 1974, 1975, and 1976, all years where he led the league in both home runs and strikeouts. And let's see if there's any other years. Uh, 1983 he also did that with 40 home runs and 148 strikeouts and uh the it's not really loading up but i was trying to see where he ranked all time in career strikeouts but uh internet's a little iffy over here so he was third all time when he retired (laughs) yeah and i i don't think i don't know if anyone has like produced the amount of uh plate appearances necessary to reach that uh since then I, I don't think many people have passed him he's probably still top five i would imagine and think about this chris like one of the best pitchers of mike schmidt's generation was nolan ryan who was famous for just throwing really hard if you really think about it like if you place nolan ryan in this era he's fitting in yeah like, he's yeah. just fitting in yeah he you're saying 70s and 80s because nobody else was throwing 100 nolan ryan would just be on par with everyone else and that's and that's honestly that's still a compliment because there are a lot of guys from that era that wouldn't do well at all in this era nolan ryan is a guy that would fit in oh yeah exactly exactly like yeah nolan ryan would be someone who fit in he'd probably be a i I mean i hate to be insulting but he would probably be a reliever uh in today's game, given that, you know, most of his career, he was a two pitch pitcher, uh, anyway, fastball curveball. And then he added a change up in it later in his career in his forties when, uh, so he had some of his best years, but you know, it, it, like he wouldn't have had, uh, I, I mean, I guess his spin rate would have been pretty up there, especially with the ban of sticky substances. But, um, and when I mean up there, I, I mean, in terms of, ranks in the league but yeah i mean uh but i mean that's a different conversation for for another day but it was funny that schmidt the guy known for striking out 
uh, has that uh, has that comment to say. Has that comment? Yeah. Yeah, Very and like, but, um, yeah, greatest third baseman of all time, 548 home runs, 908 career OPS, 148 career OPS plus. Uh, just uh, and you know, yeah, featured on the featured on the history series episode 92. Check it out. Uh, but yeah. Anything, anything more on, uh, on the subject? I think that's about it. We needed to talk about that because it's one of our topics to talk about on this show, clearly. Yeah, it's a, it's a pet peeve here on Above Replacement Radio. Um, so now we have uh, you know, our players to highlight the part we've most prepared for. And now for our... Monday, June 28th, 2021 edition of How about that? So who do you have to highlight today? All right. Uh, so this, this may sound a little odd at first, uh, but Chris, listen, hand up. I predicted, I selected a how about that based on the, the eye test. I'm sorry. I know that we don't do that on the show, but I looked at a guy and I was like, you know what? There's something about him. And I looked into the numbers and it fit my narrative. So uh, I'm sorry, but I looked at a guy and decided that he was good. I know that's, I know that's forbidden, but I, I did it. And uh, I'm talking about Willie Adamas today, who is slashing 281, 356, 496, 852 since he joined the Brewers. And I know that's not outstanding, but bear with me. Uh, his 1.1 F4 is for fourth among shortstops since May 22nd when he debuted for the Brewers. He also has three four-hit games since his debut on May 22nd, which ties him to the major league lead this season in four-hit games, even though his first one came on May 27th. Here's where here's where it gets interesting, though. Willie Adamas, you know, despite being like a pretty good player this year, is ninth in win probability added, and he's third since joining the Brewers, with only Fernando Tatis Jr. and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. being ahead of him, he leads the majors in clutch ranking with a 211, with the next closest being 179. And since joining the Brewers, that clutch rating is a 1.50, with no one else in the league being above one. And in high leverage situations this year, Willie Adamas is slashing 579, 600, 1368 for an OPS of... 1968. His OPS pitcher in high leverage situations in 20 plate appearances since joining the Brewers with a 424 weighted runs created plus. He has four home runs, three doubles, and two strikeouts in high leverage situation with the Brewers. So, you know, the age-old question is, you know, World Series, Game 7, down by one, loaded, two outs, ninth inning, all of that. Who do you want up? The answer, statistically speaking, is Willie Adamas because he has been excellent. Like, he, you know, he doesn't hit a ton. I mean, he does, he hits pretty well, but not a ton. But he hits when you need him to. And that's the important thing. That's, uh, that's incredible. And, you know, I... Yeah. Uh, I'm not. I don't even mad at uh, you picking based off of eye test because you have you have the statistical support. If you didn't have the statistical support, then I I would have had to, you know, turn off my turn off my laptop you know, and, and get looks out of really here. Really good out there. <laughs> How about that? Is Willie Adams? We're just looking. 
looking really good out there. You know, the Brewers have been thriving ever since he joined them. You know, Willie Adamas, he's been a real difference maker over there for the Brewers. You know, he's swinging really well. He's hitting those home runs. He's even getting some base hits, you know, three, four hit games. I mean, that's just, what more could you want out of your shortstop? <laughs> yeah, I saw him, uh, you know, there's a, there were men on first and second, and he, and he bunched them over, and I was like, wow, he's looking good out there. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. The, the LGOT, as we, as we like to call it, the LGOT metric. The looking, yeah. The WLGOT plus is like 270. The, however, the expected LGOT. looks good out there. <laughs> expected LGOT is, is a little different. Definitely but, not as much. Yeah, no. But uh, we can accept it. It's hard to keep up that pace. Um, but, but yeah, uh, very interesting. You know, something something everyone should look into. See Willie Adamas' effect on the Brewers. Because um, we were we were crediting the Rays yeah, mostly yeah. for that trade, but the Brewers seem to be seem to be benefiting as yeah. well. Uh, both sides seem yeah, to be are. benefiting both uh, both pretty well. Because um, they were like I, they had some of the worst production out of their shortstops before the trade, and now he's tied for tied for fourth in F four among shortstops since he got there. Yeah, and. Uh, I mean, Wander Franco is working out pretty well for the Rays too. So, I think everyone everyone's getting uh, getting what they want, except maybe the Brewers bullpen. I don't know, um, but not to overanalyze. Uh, my how about that is is uh, um, last week last uh, Monday's episode. I did an Oakland A, and uh, I'm going to double up on that, and I'm going to do another Oakland A. Uh, this time on the pitching side of things, Sean Manaya has been uh, doing very well over the past month plus. Uh, in his last seven starts, he has a 1.24 ERA, a 2.35 FIP, and one home run allowed in 43 and two-thirds innings pitch. Also, his innings pitch and ERA rank third in this span, and his FIP ranks seventh. And I forgot. I needed to double-check that. So coming into... Sunday, that was the case. It might be different now, but regardless, he's probably top five in, in his pitch in ERA, and his FIP is definitely in the, in the top 10. And before the span, uh, his ground ball rate, and this might actually be a, you know, a change in approach that happened between, you know, before the span and after the span. But uh, before this span, his ground ball rate was third. 39.7%. And in this span, in his seven start span, where he's doing very well, his ground ball rate is up to 49.0%. And before this span, his line drive weight, his line drive rate was 25.8%. And in this span, his line drive rate is down to 20.9%. That's 4.9 percentage point difference. Uh, so, you know, potentially a change in approach, getting the ball on the ground, um, maybe Maybe he didn't plan on it happening that way, but uh, it's working out for him as he has a 1.24 ERA in his last seven starts. Uh, so, yeah, Sean Manaya. Oh, and I forgot to add the – so, first of all, Willie Adamas. How about that? And uh, Sean Manaya. So, those were our players to highlight for good reasons. And uh, now we'll get into some of the players or subjects that have been underperforming where uh, we uh, are doing our 
June 28th, 2021 segment of Slightly Alarming. So, uh, who has been on your radar for the wrong reasons? Uh, my Slightly Alarming is someone who you used, Chris, earlier this season for a How About That. Uh, I'm looking at a free agent to be. I'm looking at a basically a superstar. Uh, Chris Bryant has been struggling since June 11th. Uh, he is four for his last 48 uh, and is slashing since June 11th is slashing 083, 214, 208, 423. Uh, and that 083 average of his is the worst in the majors among 180 qualified hitters. Uh, the Cubs just dropped three of four to the Dodgers after the combined no hitter. Uh, and, you know, a lot of that reason is because they just need Chris Bryant to be to be back to form. That's kind of all I had. Well, uh, two two episodes in a row, I think we we have a uh, we have the same guy Beautiful. for Beautiful. For, uh, for that. I mean, um, I have a little more on uh, Chris Bryant. Um, I mean, what I was, I mean, I would hope you did. What uh, what span did you uh, have for you know where he had an 083 average? I did June since June 11th. June 11th. I had June 5th. So June fifth, since since June fifth, okay. in the last uh, nineteen games, he's hitting one oh nine with a four eleven OPS, and uh, I actually forgot to um, update the rankings from yesterday. But uh, coming into Sunday, since June fifth, his OPS and weighted runs created plus ranked one hundred eightieth out of one hundred eighty one qualifiers. Um, so that was pretty bad i i would imagine the numbers are the rankings are around the same uh and yeah and uh before the span uh but before this 19 game span of him hitting 109 uh his hard hit rate was 42 percent and in the span it is down to 29 percent also before the span his strikeout rate was 21.9 percent and in the span, it is 30.6%. Um, so we uh, we doubled down on uh, Chris Bryant. And yeah, I was thinking new terminology. And whenever one of us... We're on, we're on fire. Yeah. Whenever uh, I was thinking maybe uh, when whenever the same person does does the same person for a... Uh, how about that? And then does that same player for uh, slightly alarming, like I just did? You know, I had a Chris Bryant as a how about that, and uh, now I have him as a slightly alarming. Maybe we call that like a freeze over, like he it was hot and now it's now not. Okay. Now now he's cold. But you know, I'm trying to no, trying to play yeah. with some vocabulary because I imagine because. The season is much longer than it was last year, obviously. So we're probably going to have some repeats in terms of, you know, some guys might be both how about that's and slightly alarming in the same season. Um, and there might be, there might be some players where we do uh, how about that's twice because they've been doing, they've had like two excellent spans. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what we, we, what we would call that. If we do two slightly alarming in the same season, Maybe you call that like a double down or something like that, something simple like that. But uh, I don't know. 
this is stuff uh, we can we can think about uh, as I'm looking for Chris Bryant's OPS rankings in the last. So now he is uh, his OPS ranks 176 out of 177 qualifiers since June 5th. Uh, so those that's the updated statistic. But uh, yeah, Chris Bryant, as expressed by both of us, slightly alarming. Not great. Um, so now, uh, now on to uh, a preview of the week ahead. Um, I kind of looked at some series already, but I kind of forgot. Um, let's take a look. See, well, oh yeah, you have um, two. I think just two. Yeah, two matchups where it's first and second in the division going at it. Uh, you have Brewers Cubs, um, which is uh, an opportunity for the Cubs to gain ground if they'd like to, as they seem to be three games behind the Brewers at this point. Brewers are doing pretty well for themselves as of late. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, Tuesday, I don't know if this starts Monday or Tuesday. Monday, oh, yeah, it starts on, it starts tonight, Monday. Uh, tonight, you probably have, um, I guess, the two best trending pitchers for each team uh, Freddie Peralta versus Kyle Hendricks. Uh, Peralta on the year 2 1 1 ERA, he was one of Daniel's How About That's. And uh, Kyle Hendricks, who was, who was one of my slightly alarmings, has been actually, you know, turned it around and looks more like Kyle Hendricks. He has a 3-8-4 ERA on the year now and uh, 10 wins and a, you know, very good run support from the Cubs. Uh, Tuesday, you have Brandon Woodruff versus Zach Davies. Uh, Zach Davies, the famous six no-hit innings of the Dodgers uh, with five walks uh, in his last start. So maybe keep an eye on him. <laughs> Probably due for some regression, I would imagine. And then uh, on Wednesday, you have Corbin Burns versus Jake Arrieta. So the Cubs are in bad luck as they are facing the three best pitchers on the Milwaukee staff. Yeah, the Brewers, <laughs> the Brewers pitching staff could not have aligned more perfectly for this series. Yeah, this is tough. This is tough. I think the Cubs should focus on winning tonight, see if they could win on a, on a Hendricks night. They seem to do pretty well when he pitches. Uh, but the other two I'm, I'm not quite so sure on. Uh, unless, unless, unless Brandon Woodruff isn't quite the same without uh, without the sticky subs, sticky substances, sticky substances, but uh, yeah, it's not great. That's a three game series, and then um, oh yeah, Dod- uh, Dodgers Giants is going to be another great series. They've already matched up twice uh, this year, and um, I don't know if there's any good pitching matchups you. We'll probably point them out. So, what are the day by days for the upcoming week? Tonight, uh, Chris and I will be watching Danny Duffy versus the the Garrett Richards retirement tour, uh, because Garrett <laughs> Richards has just flat out said uh, it's a good thing they did the down on now instead of nine and a half years ago. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had a big league career, and it doesn't really seem like he's going to be able to adapt. So. Uh, yeah, we're probably going to see our Red Sox loss tonight. Even though the only opti- the only slight bit of optimism is that Danny Duffy is coming off the IL, and uh, he's made two appearances since coming off and has gone three innings combined. 
where he hasn't done bad at all, but I think they're just limiting his innings for right now. Unless, unless right now is when they want to start pushing him again. Uh, and so, I mean, if it becomes Garrett Richards versus the Royals bullpen, I'm a little more optimistic. But Danny Duffy's a great pitcher, and he's going tonight. So you're going to want to watch him if possible. You got Wade Miley going tonight against the Phillies in Cincy. Uh, you have Matt Manning going for the Tigers. His third career start here so far in his career, a 3-3 ERA, 3-3-8 ERA. Uh, not bad. You have Zach Greinke going tonight against the Orioles. You obviously have the Hendricks-Peralta matchup that Chris mentioned. You have Lucas Giolito, and then I think the matchup of the night, Anthony Descalfani versus Trevor Bauer. Uh, Bauer has been giving up the home run ball a lot recently. He's been noticeably struggling without the sticky stuff, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. And then on Tuesday, you have Trevor Rogers going against Vincent Velazquez. Uh, Rogers, obviously, very good pitcher. Um, you have Blake Snell going against the Cincinnati Reds. You have uh, our guy Jose Urquidy going for the uh, for the Astros. Uh, Dylan C, uh, of course, meme lore in in ARR lore. Uh, you have James Caprillion. You have, oh, and you have. Uh, one of the good matchups, Chris Flexen versus Robbie Ray. Chris just mentioned uh, Flexen, and I've been mentioning Robbie Ray since he was born. Uh, but the match for the night also comes from Giants-Dodgers. It is Kevin Gosman versus Walker Bueller. Uh, don't need much explanation there. And then on Wednesday, uh, you have Quang Hyung Kim going for the Cardinals. You have Corbin Burns, of course, for the Brewers, like Chris mentioned. You have Shohei Otani pitching in Yankee Stadium. Uh, that's going to be fun. Uh, you have Joe Musgrove going against the Cincinnati Reds. You have uh, Taiwan Walker going against Max Freed. That is a good one. You have Luis Garcia going for the Astros. Uh, and I'd say the ma- you have Chris Bassett going for the A's. And I'd say the matchup of the night comes from Twins White Sox, where you got Jose Barrios going against Carlos Rodon. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good matchup. Uh, <laughs> Gossman Bueller is definitely the uh, probably the headliner of the week uh, here. I mean, two. Two of the nastiest pitchers out there. All right, so uh, that does it. Uh, this went better than I thought it would, uh, honestly. <laughs> main, yeah. main Wi-Fi, you know, we're renting a house out from probably older people who probably don't care as much about Wi-Fi, but uh, don't want to assume things. But went went pretty well um, for, the, uh, for the getaway episode. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this one. And, uh, you know, if you want to, if you uh, are listening to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and want to watch, uh, you know, want to watch that uh, David Cohn clip, I know it's you know probably mostly audio, but also want to watch the conversation as it happens. Go to our YouTube channel and subscribe to the YouTube channel. is called Above Replacement Radio. Check out all the playlists there as well. Um, if you want to follow us on social social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta and follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran and follow the show Instagram at Above Replacement Radio for all the show needs. And we hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you on Thursday, hopefully again, uh, where, we will, where we will be talking all the happenings in Major League Baseball. Once again, see you then. This conversation. This conversation is over. Is over.